0: Welcome to Bite Size Seminary. This is a podcast where we discuss issues in biblical studies, theology, ministry engagement, and following Jesus. With new episodes every other week, we'll dive into the biblical text, discuss resources, book reviews, and interviews. I'm J.C. Schroeder. I'm an instructor at the Ezekiel Project School of Evangelism and a THM student at Grand Rapids Theological Seminary. I hope that we can encourage each other to live and read scripture more faithfully. If you want to be challenged by new ideas and encouraged by old ones, then keep listening. Today, we're going to talk about the thought and creativity in the Apostle Paul's prayer life and how that can shape our own prayers. Let's dive in. Has this ever happened to you? You're with a group and you're taking prayer requests. And after everything is written down, the group begins to pray. But as you're praying, the prayers feel a bit mundane and maybe even shallow. They almost seem like a to-do list where the requests just kind of get checked off. Not much thought or emotional input seems evident. Now, of course, that's happened to you. That We've all been there, whether that's been in a group setting or just in our own personal prayer times. Prayer can feel like we are just checking things off. Now, what I want to do here is think about how we can pray better, not just bash some of our poor practices maybe that we do when we pray. But what I think this scenario does, this mock scenario, is that it exposes a bit of our roteness in our prayer, that we are saying words, but we're not actually thinking through them. As we'll see, the point here is not that we would have some Highly crafted prayers, although those are fine, or that we would have some great rhetorical flourishes or super emotional um, outflowing in our prayers. All of that is fine, but it's not necessary. The Lord loves simple prayers. But the point that I want to look at here today is how we can pray a bit deeper and creatively. And what I want to do with that is I want to look at how Paul prays and use him as an example. So we're going to look at how Paul prays. And we see that when he is praying for these churches that he is ministering to, he is thinking and praying quite deeply and creatively for others. And we want his prayer life to shape our own approach to prayer to think deeply and creatively for others. Now, as we look at Paul's example and we turn to his letters that we have in the New Testament. Many of his letters, if not all of his letters, they start with a prayer. And we can get into the bad habit as we read Paul's letters. We can get into this bad habit of moving too quickly past these prayers. We see, oh, here's the introduction. He's praying for them. da. Moving on. Where's the meat? But here's the key point. Paul uses his prayers in his letters As prayerful meditations on the things the church needs, and thus he telegraphs the main themes of that letter. So the prayers are actually pretty important structural pieces to the letter as a whole. So, if we're just thinking of how do we interpret and read Paul's letters well, you have to pay attention to those prayers. But also, they highlight for us the heart of this pastor Paul and how he is ministering to these churches. So not only does Paul seek to correct behavior, he does that, but he also lifts up the church to the Lord. That's his posture. He's not just going, hey, you guys, you're doing it wrong, but he is also bringing them before the Lord in very deep, thoughtful, and creative ways. A good case in point here is Paul's letter to the Colossians. Now, when Paul is writing to the Colossians, He is writing to the Colossians because he is concerned that they may drift away from Christ. And in drifting away from Christ, they may turn to other things in addition to Christ for success in dealing with their sinful nature. And so here, I want to just think about Paul's example in prayer here and how his attitude of prayer affects his relationship to the Colossians and to the Lord. And so when Paul is writing, He's concerned. He sees that there is the possibility of a spiritual problem for the Colossians. Different commentators, scholars will uh, have argued that perhaps the Colossians were actually dealing with a specific issue, theological issue in their day, that people were coming in and teaching them false doctrine. That's a possibility. I, I tend to think that Paul is concerned that this is a possible threat, not an actual living threat. In the Colossian church at this time. So, Paul sees this. He's, he has seen it elsewhere in other churches that he has ministered to, and he is concerned that this also might happen for the Colossians. And so, he seeks to deal with the issue before it ever arises. And so, he wants to emphasize for these believers that they would recognize the preeminence of Christ in their lives and not turn to merely adhering regulations or that Christ needs some additional supplements for their own spiritual lives. One of the key verses in the book of Colossians is in chapter 2, verse 3, where it talks about Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So he's lifting up Christ and saying, it's Christ. He's the supreme one. He is the preeminent one nothing else will satisfy. And he is concerned that the Colossians will drift away to other things such as regulations, such as following certain codes, and they will be sold this bill of goods that if you just follow these rules, that will make you a holy person. And he says, and Paul's not against following rules, but he says it is only in Christ. Christ and him preeminent is the way to deal with our sinful nature, to deal with our, to live as believers. So that's where he's going. That's the concern he sees. And that's what he wants to emphasize for these believers. That's where he wants to take the Colossians and the concern that he has for them. So he begins his letter with praying for this exact issue, right? So he's, as we mentioned earlier, that his prayers, the beginning of his letters, telegraph where he's going in the rest of the letter. So we see his prayer begins in verse 3 of chapter 1, where he is praying to the Father and that he's praying for the Colossians. And then we get the core of his prayer in verses 9 through 12. And what he's going to talk about here in chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, which is the main section that I want to look at as an example for us, is that the Colossians would have this true spiritual knowledge and live for the Lord, knowing that Christ is supreme. So you see this beginning in verse 9 of chapter 1, where Paul says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so we see a couple of things as we look at this this first verse here in verse 9, that Paul is continually praying. Like, that's his heart attitude. He's not just putting on... Spiritual heirs, and I'm praying for you. You know, we we do that sometimes, or at least I do this sometimes. uh, And I'll confess this: that we'll say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm praying for you. I'll pray for that," and I don't give it another thought. And how horrible that is! But the Lord, or excuse me, what Paul does here is he is telling them that I am truly concerned about you, and I've been praying for you for quite some time. Right? I've not from the day I heard this that we heard this. Him and his compatriots, we have not ceased to pray for you. It's been a continual thing that has been on his mind and on his heart to pray for the Colossians. And you see that he begins to tell us of how and what he is praying for, for the Colossians, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So he's looking for, he wants the Lord to give to them this spiritual knowledge, this discernment to see that it's only Christ and nothing else. So he's leading into what the rest of the book, what the rest of the letter is going to be describing. And he's like, I want you, and I'm praying this for you, that you would just know about the true nature of who the Lord is and how that affects your life. That's what he's praying for. And then he follows this up in verse 10, that of not only that they would have this spiritual knowledge but that it would play out in their Christian life. And so he says this in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. That's where this spiritual knowledge should lead. He wants them not just to be filled with information, but that, they, that this information would lead to them living a life that is pleasing to the Lord. And that's the, like the core of where he's taking this prayer is that they would be that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. So there are many other things that he could have prayed for for the Colossians but his main concern is that they would be the type of people that would fully please the Lord. And how many times when we pray for individuals we pray for individual things, items, and we don't pray for people's spiritual lives that ourselves and that them would be fully pleasing to him. Now, the Lord loves that we can come to him with anything and what a blessing that we can bring individual things to the Lord. But Paul highlights for us here the importance of praying for others that they would walk worthy of the Lord, that they would be fully pleasing to him, And is that a component of our spiritual lives as we pray for ourselves and others? Do we pray for this type of pleasingness to the Lord? So Paul has this center to his prayer for spiritual knowledge, to walk worthy, fully pleasing to the Lord. And then he further delineates of what that looks like to be fully pleasing to the Lord in verses, in the second half of verse 10 through verse 12. So he gives us four items that highlight for us what it looks like to be fully pleasing to the Lord. He says it is bearing fruit, number one, bearing fruit in every good work, number two, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Both of those are in verse 10. Then verse 11, number three, being strengthened, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. And then verse 12 is number four, giving thanks to the father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So four things of how it looks like to be fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened and giving thanks. Those are the four things that it looks like. And these are the things that he's praying for the Colossians that they would have in their lives, that they would bear fruit, in every good work, that it, they just wouldn't be segmented to certain types of things that they would do and do well, but that in every aspect of their lives, they would bear that fruit out to the Lord and that they would also increase in their knowledge of God, that they wouldn't stay static. And how many times we sometimes stay static in our knowledge of the Lord. We think we know so much about the Bible, so much about the Lord, but, the, but Paul desires that we would continually he does, desires this for the Colossians and thinking of our own selves here, that we would continually increase in our knowledge of Lord, and not just in terms of facts about the Lord, but in also just of how this relates to our lives and who the Lord is in a relational sense. Then he talks about being strengthened. I really love this because it's a passive verb, right? It's not something you actively do, but that the Lord would work in our lives and that we would rest in Him for his own strength, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. Being strengthened is not the same as be tough and be strong. It's resting in the Lord's strength, that that would be the posture of the believer. And for the end result of endurance and patience with joy. That's, that's a powerful line of not only just enduring something or being patient, but having joy through it. And that's the one thing I think is so powerful about being a Christian is that we can have joy. That doesn't mean that we're happy, but that we can have joy in the Lord because of who he is and how he ministers to our hearts. And then finally, this fourth element here of giving thanks to the Father, recognizing what God has done for us and that he ha- how he has qualified us To share in the inheritance of the saints in light, that we would give thanks to Him, that that would be our posture. And so, this is Paul's heart, Paul's prayer for the Colossians. So, Paul has recognized that this is an area of concern for the Colossians, that they are going to be tempted to move away from the from the Lord. And so, thus he prays and prays earnestly and consistently about this concern and the remedy. And the remedy is found in Christ. Now, let's think about how this can influence our own prayer life. Paul knows of a concern, a problem for the Colossians. Then he thinks about the best remedy and how that would play out in their lives. So what does he do? He thinks deeply, carefully, and creatively about the Colossians' issues, their lives, and brings that to the Lord. He's concerned that they would be drawn away from him, but he wants them to know the true knowledge of the Lord. He wants them to be fully pleasing to him, that being fully pleasing is found in nothing else but in Christ. And so then he gives these four elements. So so he thinks through the Colossians, their issues, their problems, and he brings those things to the Lord. And he thinks of how these things might play out in their lives, that they're going to need that increasing knowledge in the Lord. They're going to need to bear fruit in all aspects of their life. They're going to need that strengthening from the Lord, and they're going to need to give thanks. So he, he thinks creatively about the Colossians and their situation. So now we think about how does this work for us in our own prayer life? When we pray, do we think deeply and creatively for others? Are we falling into the trap of praying as only a checklist? Notice that when Paul prays for the Colossians, it's not a checklist of, I hope you guys are doing okay, hope you're, uh, hope you're just uh, reading your Bibles and having your good prayer time. He, he is thinking about their situation and thinking deeply, and that's crafting his prayer. So when we pray, we should think uh, through the circumstance that we're praying about or the individual that we're praying for. Think about their challenges, what they're struggling with, or how it affects their life or the lives of those around them. Now this is not a uh, an excuse to be nosy to find out all the details or to gossip about all the details or to listen to gossip about all that no 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 but this is an exercise in bringing the person before the Lord now for example, if you know someone a friend of yours or a family member who's just lost their job, how do you pray for them? We pray that they would find a new job that's a great prayer and if that's all that we did, that would be great and the Lord. The Lord loves that. But we can also pray more deeply, and we can think about the different ramifications that that situation entails. We can pray for their finances that the Lord would provide for them, that the Lord would provide a new job, but we can also pray for the stress on their marriage, the fact that they have a stress of perhaps losing their home because they've lost their house, the stress of paying for health insurance, paying for childcare, um, uh, just providing nice things for for their children. We can pray for the idea of the person who lost their job. That, you know, that can be a, a real shock to someone's view of themselves, their identity, their self-worth. They can feel like a failure. They can feel as if they don't have an identity anymore. And so taking these things into consideration as we think of this fake individual, you know, but we, we know people that are like this, we can think of, all right, how can I pray best? Lord, I pray that you would help this person, my friend, that you just help them to not find their identity in their job, that you'd help them to work through those emotions, that they would find their identity in you, Lord, and nothing else. You pray that you'd help them to to get through this situation, to trust you more, to be drawn to you through this difficult time. Uh, I pray that you'd meet all of their needs, meet their emotional, their spiritual needs, So hopefully these types of examples get the thought juices going a little bit so that we can think creatively and carefully about how we can pray better. And notice that this goes beyond just the simple request of that this individual would just get a simple new job. Now, one thing I want to just finish with is how this relates to us. When we pray like this, this can also help orient our own hearts toward others and see how we may serve others. If we're being honest for just a moment, we can be quite callous to the struggles that people face. This may be because of our own selfishness or because of our judgmentalism. I think we need some, a little bit of honesty as we think of how we relate to people, and we can have these subtle perceptions of people or maybe not so subtle perceptions that we see problems in people's lives and they may be legitimate problems but what is our heart attitude towards them and how does that affect how we pray for others perhaps we pray for someone but it's with a knife's edge on our tongue that we're we're praying for them but we are we can see our own judgmentalism just cutting into that person I recently came across this quote from Rosaria Butterfield. She, ha- she says this challenging question, do your prayers rise no higher than your prejudice? That's a, that's, a tough, that's a tough question. And what I think Paul shows us in the way that he prays, and when we follow his model of prayer, when we pray thoughtfully and creatively, it can help heal our hearts of our selfishness and judgmentalism toward others so that we can see them as Christ does. When we are thinking creatively and thoughtfully and praying for individuals in this way, it brings us back to the heart of Christ as we bring them to Christ. So it has this dual facet of we are praying for them and we're thinking carefully and creatively for them. And so it does something for them. We're praying for them. We're bringing them to the Lord. But it is also that act of praying in that way heals our own hearts of our own selfishness. And what a blessing that is. It's a blessing as we bring that person to the Lord, but it's also a blessing for us because it's shaping us to become more like our Savior. I'm sure there are other facets here about Paul's prayer life in his letters and even in Colossians here. But I've really been impressed by how Paul's pray and his example for my own prayer life, that it would be more purposeful, thoughtful, and creative. And may we both, may we all pray better together. That's all I have for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider following the podcast and or giving an honest review. Even share it with a friend. You can check out my website, bitesizeseminary.com, or connect with me on Facebook or Twitter, you can see all the links in the show notes below. Thanks for listening.